You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another week of Locked On Vikings here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. And this football season is so different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch, whether you're a nervous wreck like I am, or you just sit back and enjoy the chaos like this game was. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. I'm your your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today we are recapping the Vikings' wild, wacky, sloppy, ugly, ugly, ugly 28 to 27 victory over the Carolina Panthers, bringing them to five and six and firmly into the NFC playoff picture. The Vikings win a thriller, no doubt about it, for a neutral fan, absolutely a, a, a blast and a half. But of course, for tortured Vikings fans, this one was probably more frustrating than not, especially the third quarter meltdown that resulted in two defensive touchdowns the Vikings give up back to back, both on fumbles that are returned for touchdowns. But outside of that, the Vikings played well enough to win and overcome that meltdown. And the, the meltdown is something that the Vikings have had to overcome in previous games. Sometimes they've done so successfully, sometimes they haven't. And in this one, they managed to get there by a single point margin. And the other headline of this game is Kirk Cousins, who had a really, really, really excellent game. His stat line is good, not great. He gets 307 yards, three touchdowns. That looks pretty good. I mean, that's a good game uh, just for like raw box score stats. But the, the subtler nuances of his game and his pocket management the uh, excellence on third down and the way that he improvised and created uh, Kirk Cousins really was a driving force to the team and, and where we usually see him as a trailer, somebody getting dragged around by the talent around him. In this one, he was the truck. He was the driving force creating things. Uh, and I think no stat better illustrates this than the fact that there were seven receptions for each of Chad Beebe, BC Johnson, Justin Jefferson, and Kyle Rudolph. Each of them got seven receptions for something like 40, 50, uh, 70 yards in Jefferson and Johnson's case. Cousins was finding the open man and delivering the ball in a way that let the skill players then do what they do, and he was doing so in, in a way that converted a lot of third and longs, dug themselves out of kind of behind-the-chains situations that they got in because of some really unsuccessful runs, uh, and ultimately, I mean, Kirk Cousins has to be the primary 1A reason that the Vikings win the game. And if you don't want to say that, maybe you could say that the cornerbacks played well. But all in all, Cousins had a really good game, and I think that needs to be the headline. But the rest of the roster had a really, really sloppy game. There were a lot of procedural penalties. Of course, there were the turnovers. There was the muffed punt. And the game came down to a fourth quarter comeback situation. After the third quarter meltdown, the Vikings found themselves down 11, with about 10 minutes to go in the game. They drive down. 
get a touchdown, and they end up getting a, a an opportunity with about 218 and a timeout to go down and uh, tie the game down just a field goal. Chad Beebe muffs the punt. The Vikings get another stop thanks to some questionable clock management from the Carolina Panthers. They end up with um, a minute 51, down six, go win, and they score in about a minute 10, actually giving the Panthers and Teddy Bridgewater a little bit too much time, and they end up getting a field goal opportunity to uh, win the game by two points, but the field goal goes wide left in a pretty rough shank. They end up giving them an opportunity for about a 54-yard kick that's a little bit too hard for uh, Joey Sly to make it comfortably, so he has to put too much into it. He pulls it, he shanks it, and now the Vikings are 5-6. and six. They are in the eighth spot in the NFC in the rankings. They're, they're in a three-way tie for that, but they have the tiebreakers over both the Bears and head-to-head, and they have it over the Cardinals, I think, with conference record. So at this particular juncture, they are the eighth uh, seed in, in the NFC, the first team out of the playoffs, unless there are game cancellations and they decide to add more teams uh, as they, they've already kind of agreed to do, then they, there would be an eighth seed. But either way, the Vikings are now kind of on that playoff bubble, looking at a, they still have a game against the Jaguars, uh, then they have a game against Tampa Bay in Tampa, but Tampa Bay is kind of reeling right now. Then they play Chicago, they play the Saints, and then they wrap up the season against the Lions in a game that could end up being pretty important. That is a schedule where the Vikings could rattle off a few wins here, And if they are a team that deserves to be in the playoffs, it's pretty likely that of the Rams, Bucks, Cardinals, shoot, even the Drew Breesless Saints, somebody up there is probably going to fall out of this. And I think it's a matter of, do the Bears turn it around? Do the Vikings keep their winning ways going? Do the San Francisco 49ers keep their winning ways going? Or do all those teams kind of keep it together and and stave off these other, like, in-the-hunt teams that are kind of nipping at their heels? That's going to kind of be what it all comes down to. But in terms of playoff position, the Vikings are firmly in the conversation. It is now, you know, relevant December football. That is where we are at right now. We didn't think we'd be there, you know, when the Vikings were sitting at one and five, but they've won four of the next five since that Atlanta loss, since the bye week. And that, I think, is is the kind of momentum that you want to have. Listen, the Vikings are still plenty likely to not make the playoffs. I actually think they're still pretty unlikely to make the playoffs if you look at people's like probability models and stuff, but they're in it and they're a part of the conversation. And now they just have to look at Jacksonville next week, try to go win that game and kind of wherever else the, the chips fall, that's where they lie. And hey, even if it doesn't amount to anything except for like worst draft position or whatever, winning feels good. And you know what else feels good? That feeling of hitting a fitness goal and being done with like a really hard workout where you really kick the crap out of yourself and you just feel like exhilarated, you got all the endorphins pumping and you accomplish something that maybe you didn't accomplish before you set a personal best in a time or a weight limit or something like that. An echelon can get you there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and their all-new Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your own home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes, always available when you need them. And unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone. One membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. So right now, you can try Echelon Fitness Equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com slash NFL. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash NFL. Now, before I get into uh, talking about some of the nitty gritty stuff and some of the more individual performances, I want to mention that you can find me 
on Locked On NFL on Tuesdays. Locked On NFL is just like this show. Monday through Friday, there's a show every day with a rotating cast of hosts. On Monday, Peter Bukowski kind of uh, goes over the, the events of Sunday. On Tuesday, Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints and I go over Monday Night Football and some of the trends of the league. And we have a fantasy forum. So if your fantasy playoffs are coming off, coming up, uh, you know, at least listen for that. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there's a different theme uh, to every day and a different cast of rotating hosts. So if you want to check that out, go subscribe to Locked on NFL, wherever you find this podcast, you'll be able to find that one as well. So I I think the defense, I mean, everybody kind of had their own game, right? The run defense had a really, really rough start and turned it around. I thought the cornerbacks had a good game outside of like one or two lapses that each one of them had. But ultimately, the headline for the defense is that so the Carolina Panthers scored 27.17 of them were directly off of turnovers. And this wasn't, oh, you know, it was a point off of a turnover because there was an interception that happened that gave him the ball in the 45. And then the defense lets him, you know, go in. But it was a short field. So it was like kind of, you know, whose fault is that? No, no, no. This was two directly defensive touchdowns. That's 14. And a field goal because the Panthers got the ball in the 10 after the muffed punt from Chad Beebe. That leaves 10 points that are like genuinely on the defense. So the defense on the whole deserves a lot of credit. They played a very good, very consistent game where they only gave up 10 points like genuinely. That's really good for a game, especially a game where the momentum gets away from them and stuff in a game where there were a lot of problems early in the game that they were able to kind of figure out and fix before they ended up being the story of the game. And the first one, or I think the biggest one for me was the run defense. In the first half, the run game was really, really efficient for Carolina. And there's a bunch of reasons for this. It's kind of a confluence of things. For one, the Vikings were giving them a lot of uh, really like light, soft boxes. And that's not necessarily up to the Vikings. That's kind of up to the offense, right? If the offense comes in and they spread everything out, they come out of four wide receivers all spread out, you're not going to put nine people in the box because that you can't do that. You would have to leave someone uncovered. Of course, you're not going to do that. So the Panthers kind of spread everything out and then ran against that light box, which I think is the best way to do it. I think that's a good game plan thing that, that I think every team should kind of be doing. So like that's part of it. Uh, but there were some other execution problems that I think genuinely do need to be fixed. Like the fact that there were light boxes is just kind of like, oh, well, they kind of got, got you in a light box, but why doesn't that work? Well, for one, the defensive line played soft, and I think they played soft the whole game. I think the D-line had a really bad game on, on the whole. I think Julio Johnson just got blasted off the line of scrimmage. Hercules Mata'afa wasn't disruptive at all. DJ Wanham, I thought, had a pretty nice game uh, disruption-wise, but he had plenty of his own lapses as well. But like, he blocks a field goal in a game that you won by one point. That's probably the most important thing that happens with DJ Wanham in the game, and Probably rightfully so, right? So that's probably what you remember him for. But the defensive line on the whole played really soft. They, they, They gave up a whole bunch of space in the run game. They didn't get any pressure like at all. They didn't get anything on, on Teddy Bridgewater. So that I think caused a lot of problems and it asked a lot more of the coverage. And the other thing is that the linebackers were really slow to their gaps. I think for one, the, the, you know, Eric Wilson, he's had this problem where, especially with the way that linebackers were, I'll probably talk about this in more depth in another episode where I'm not trying to cram everything in, but uh, basically the way that the, the Vikings have been doing their run fits is they'll have linebackers to gap but there'll be some overlap in it. So, you know, you don't have like this big hole in the middle or whatever. Uh, And, you know, the run goes to the left, you get this gap. If the run goes to the right, you go to this gap. I think that's the way that it works. I could be super wrong about that. But basically what that means is that you have to read something and then go attack your gap, right? And so you have to make a decision or make a read on the play. You have to think about something. Then you have to go like crash down and explode into the gap. 
uh, and everybody kind of has to explode into their gap, like sort of as uh, like as a unit in in, in unison synchronization. And Wilson has just been really slow to do that. And so it lets guards kind of climb up to him. It it lets uh, there just be way too much space. And suddenly, you know, running backs have all the space in the world to read and react and make their decision and pick a gap and all that stuff. And it, it leads to bad run defense. In the second half, I thought this flipped. I think Eric Wilson played a lot better in the second half. Troy Dye, who was also really, really bad at this, was just not on the field as much, it didn't seem like, uh, which is one way to improve play out of him. Um, but I, I think that, you know, there were just a lot less of, of lapses. Even Eric Kendricks, I thought, was a little bit slow in the first kind of part of the game. And then he started making incredible run stops. He, of course, has the interception in the red zone. That's another, again, in a game you win by one, everything is like, wow, that was why you won the game. That's another one that like, if he doesn't make that and they just kick a field goal there or even get a touchdown, the game's entirely different. And then, of course, you know, you had some disruptions from DJ Wanham that I I guess I should highlight, like uh, blocking the screen. I think he had a, a really interesting pressure or a really impactful pressure um, and, and played pretty well. There was even one Hercules Mata off, a really good run stop. I don't think he ends up with the tackle for it, but he ends up like blowing up the play. Um, so I, there were definitely better plays, especially in the second half. The defense just like clamped down in the front seven, but the pass defense did not need to wait until the second half. I thought the pass defense played very, very well, especially the corners who played very well in man coverage. I think uh, Robbie Anderson got the better of Chris Boyd like once or twice. Um, and otherwise, I mean, I thought Cameron Dantzler, I don't think he got targeted, but maybe once or twice. Chris Jones had a really good pass breakup. Um, Jeff Gladney, I think he, he still got beat on like some slants and stuff, but overall a much less, uh, catastrophic game from him. And ultimately I think the, the, like the big share of production that the Panthers were able to get was like finding holes in zones and stuff and more schematic stuff that is hard to read live. And I, I think I'll just kind of have to put a pin in that and come back to it on Wednesday. But with these cornerbacks, I mean, they're really the biggest problem that we always go in, you know, previewing the game. And maybe we should change that heuristic because I don't think the cornerbacks have played that bad for the last like month or two. And a huge part of that is that you're not asking a lot of them because you're going into cover two a whole bunch and cover two asks quarterbacks to make really difficult throws. Um, and you know, you, they, but they've been playing better technique. They, they were able to kind of keep up in man coverage and they were outmatched in this one. You know, Chris Boyd, a seventh round pick in his second year, that's not supposed to be starting against Robbie Anderson, who's having this absolute renaissance season. That's a mismatch. And Chris Boyd, I thought played admirably and, you know, Jeff Gladney against like DJ Moore and Chris Jones against like DJ Moore and stuff. That's a mismatch. Those, those are players, the Panthers version of those players should be able to win. And there were a few explosive plays that they, where they did, but certainly not enough to win the game. So I'm very excited about that. And the other thing I want to talk about on defense was the touchdown. The only touchdown the Vikings give up on defense comes from Rob, Robbie Anderson. He gets on a crossing route. Somehow you end up with a Fadio Denebo one-on-one in coverage against Robbie Anderson. He totally dorches him on a, on a crossing route and takes it to the house. And it's this really big thing. I want to defend that play call, though, because it's third and eleven. And I thought for as weird as Jonathan Vilma was in this game, and I did not like listening to him. I thought he explained this one very well. Uh, he explains it as he calls it a fire zone, which means that, you know, imagine you have seven players on the line of scrimmage and the off and, and imagine you're the center trying to figure out who is actually going to pass rush and who's going to back off into coverage. You're going to look at all the defensive linemen and go, OK, Fadio Denebo, that guy's wearing number 95. He ain't going to drop into coverage. I probably have to make my protection scheme and whatever I call and whoever I assign to block someone has to be a, somebody has to be assigned to him. And so when he does back off into coverage as part of a blitz, you're almost definitely going to have somebody unblocked because there's no way the protection account 
accounts for that, and that is what happened. Harrison Smith is unblocked on that touchdown, and uh, Teddy Bridgewater just gets rid of the ball really quickly, something he's kind of always been good at. Um, and you end up with Fadio Denebo on a crossing route. I think a lot of play calling is rock, paper, scissors. Um, and I've been talking about this a lot in, in the last few weeks because I think it's apt. Um, but it's a, a lot of times, you know, you call rock and they have paper called and like, that's just it. And that I think is one of those things. I don't think that means you should stop calling rock. I don't think that means you should stop calling rock in that situation. And I think that that zone blitz kind of thing leads to sacks and broken plays and all sorts of disruption. I think often enough where it's worth the risk of it being a huge play because they happen to have their fastest receiver running a crossing route and therefore asking a Fadio Denebo to cover him one-on-one. Like that situation is rare enough where it's worth risking it to get all the sacks and disruption and stuff that that sort of third down blitz usually produces. So I'll defend that play call a little bit, and I think I'll go on to say that I thought this was a well-coached game. I'm going to talk about the offensive play calling a little bit uh, in the next bit of this show, so stick around for that if your eyebrow just raised a little bit, uh, because I am going to cape for the offensive play calling, and I don't think it was all that bad, and I definitely think the defensive play calling was good in this game, and I thought the game management on the whole was good in this one. The clock management, you know, the Vikings before the second half, they had a situation, they had the ball on the 29 with 16 seconds to go and one timeout, right? Gives you enough time for an end zone shot or two, and then you're kicking. And and most importantly, because they had bled a lot of clock and they did spend a lot of time like bleeding clock in that two minute drill, they denied Carolina any chance to go back and do anything with it. And I think they did a reasonable job of doing that again at the end of the game. Um, so I, I thought the coaching in general was, or the coaching decisions, the game day decisions were very good. The coaching in general, of course, there was a lot of sloppiness. We'll talk all about that in just a second. But hey, speaking of comebacks, Bill Bar is back and better than ever. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They are covered in 100% chocolate and they come in a whole bunch of delicious flavors that you don't think you should be able to indulge on if you're the kind of guy who's trying to lose or maintain weight, but they come in stuff like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, banana bread, salted caramel, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, all of these delicious, luscious, and decadent things, but they are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high in fiber, and they're even keto friendly. Let me give you an example. Uh, Cookies and cream, one of my favorites, has 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and just 4 grams of net carbs. So if you want to try Built Bar for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, let's dive into stuff with the offense. And I think the first thing I want to talk about is the play calling. A lot of people were calling to like fire Kubiak in the middle of this game. My mentions were filled with like, how can we deal with Kubiak? He's such a bad play caller and stuff. And I really disagree. I I don't think that the plays that he called put the Vikings behind an eight ball too bad. Um, But I think the biggest thing, the biggest criticism that we should discuss is running versus passing, right? And I usually don't love the run versus pass dichotomy thing. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Again, you know, if they give you a five-man box, run into that. And if they they tighten everything up and they condense it, then pass against that. And I, I think the Vikings were actually doing a reasonable job of kind of inviting tight boxes and then passing against that as a way to ensure one-on-ones for Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson gets 13 targets. Hopefully that's good enough for uh, people out there who are, are really watching that like a hawk. 
<laughs> but I, I, they also, I mean, they, they threw it 45 times and they ran to Dalvin Cook 18 times. I think Alexander Madison had two. So, and maybe there was one to CJ Ham, right? Uh, and that doesn't include the, the three sc- scrambles that Kirk Cousins had that were supposed to be dropbacks, right? So they dropped back a ton in this game. A lot of it was because they were chasing the game, which isn't the fault of the play calling. That was the fault of the fumbles, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but I also think that the Vikings schematically found a way to get guys open a lot. Again, four different players had seven catches in this game for something like 50 to 70 yards. That, I think, is good scheming and a, you know being able to get good offensive production. I know that there was a lot of third and longs and stuff because they ran on first and 10 or they ran on second and 10 and stuff, and people don't like that. I don't like that either, but I think that changing that, while it would provide an edge and I support that, I think there are just so many other way more impactful things that were going on schematically that I think are, are worth... Uh, paying more attention to than just the run past dichotomy. So I'm not too worried about that. That said, there were some moments of conservatism that did really bother me. Um, There was a fourth and one where they just like lined up like they were going to go for it. It was a very obvious go for it call. And instead, they try to draw them off sides with a hard count. It doesn't work. Hard counts didn't work great in this one. The Vikings had two false starts on their own with hard counts. Um, and then they, they did get the Panthers on one of them, but it wasn't uh, particularly successful. And they end up punting. And I hate that kind of conservatism, especially, you know, you're four and six, your back's against the wall, your playoff life is on the line against a team in the same situation. You can't be playing not to lose like that. Uh, They end up punting that one. There was a third and 20 that happened at the end of the half where, again, you know, they could have just tried to get into better field goal range. I think they made Dan Bailey kick like I, I think it was over a 50 yard field goal. Uh, and instead of trying to convert that third and 20, keep the drive alive at the end of the half, they just ran the ball and they gave up and I hate give up plays. You can convert a third and 20. It's been done. It can be done, but you have to try to do that. You can't just run the ball, take your seven and make him kick a long field goal. So I hate that kind of thing. Um, and and I think, uh, I think just about every team in the league needs to be a little bit better at these. I think this is not a problem that's unique to the Vikings, but it is one that they have. And I think that that bothers me. That's more of a high level thing. And I think the other good coaching things, the high level stuff that the coaches did schematically, both on offense and on defense to generate production, I think matters way more than the individual decisions, even though I think it's correct to point them out and criticize them. Um, and the other thing that I noticed is that they really had, the, the Panthers really had backside people all over the rollouts. That's something we've talked about before where, you know, you, you will roll out, you'll do a bootleg and there's somebody in Cousins' face immediately because they read it and teams are just reading these more now. So the Vikings don't have that to really, uh, rely on anymore and they have to do a more drop back passy kind of thing. And I think they're still figuring out the identity there, but this game was a good step toward that. And ultimately they were excellent on third down. And again, a big part of that is condensing things, just lining up in condensed formations that give you a ton of room to the outside to work. It gives you free releases um, and it just helps people out. And and that's really what you want to be doing with your scheme. You, you don't necessarily need to hard counter them every time. You just want to do stuff that puts your players in an advantage. And and, and the, the Vikings did a really good job of putting BC Johnson and Chad Beebe and Justin Jefferson and the tight ends and everybody at an advantage and giving them the space to work and the space to make plays. The run game didn't work very well. Um, I think I have to put a pin in that as to why. I think a big problem was just the offensive line wasn't very good. I didn't think Brett Jones was very good in this game. I noticed a lot of problems from him. I know that breaks a lot of hearts out there, but there were a lot of moments in third and, in third and long or even third and short that the scheme either helped them. Uh, you know, There were a bunch of third downs, especially on that very first touchdown drive. The Vikings scored on their first drive of the game. I think there were two or three third downs where where 
the scheme just worked and the play that they called just made it free and nobody on the play had to be good. That's exactly what you want with scheming. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Kirk Cousins on third down. I, I talked about him a lot at the beginning of the show, but he, he really warrants uh, another mention here because he did a ton of improvisational stuff. He scrambled for two first downs uh, in long yardage situations. He was able to get out of the pocket, find people, deliver the ball. He was crazy accurate and really, really clutch. This is not what we're used to seeing from Kirk Cousins that he was clutch and he was angry and he 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 dragged the team kicking and screaming to victory and a lot of that has to do with how he played on third down i'm really excited to go over all of those third downs and break them down and stuff um that's not really where we are for this show so you'll have to maybe come back for that or find it on twitter uh sometime later in the week but on the whole suffice it to say that kirk cousins willed the vikings to converting a lot of third and longs um, but there were a lot of mistakes that we also need to talk about, uh, the procedural stuff. And this is really frustrating to me. I think this is the most legit criticism of the coaching. Yeah, they like ran more than I guess I would have liked. And yeah, like this play caller, that play caller, whatever. They should have gone for the fourth and one. But here's the thing. All of that is decisions that we can argue and debate and stuff. And I think I come down on the side of the fans versus the Vikings a lot more on that stuff. But what we can't argue is you can't get delay of games because you couldn't get your play lined up, right? You can't get the illegal snap on Garrett Bradbury. That's a, I think that was a five-yard penalty. Uh, you know, you can't do the thing. Kirk Cousins trying to improvise and he goes across the line, comes back, tries to throw. It was a great looking play, but he totally crossed the line of scrimmage and he didn't have to. That You can't have that kind of brain fart, right? You can't have a, a, a timeout in a situation where the Vikings needed timeouts so bad and the clock management stuff that the Panthers did. Uh, I want to talk about if I get time here, but it really came down to one or two plays before the Panthers were kneeling, right? And you're coming down to doing the math of, well, they have this many timeouts and I think they can get the ball back and stuff. And if there were, if the Vikings had access to another timeout, that would have changed all of that calculus. And they had to blow one in the second half because they couldn't get their damn play lined up. Get to the line of scrimmage. It's not that hard. And the hard counts that also, so there's a lot of discipline and and shooting yourself in the foot and, and killing your own drives just by not being ready to do the procedural automatic base level stuff in football. Forget beating the the guy across from you, you have to get to the play in the first place. There were so many times where they just couldn't even get a snap off, and that is is really, really frustrating. I know it's a young team, but it's also late November. Get your crap together. And speaking of, let's talk about Chad Beebe, who had the wildest day. So the first real play he makes, he had actually, I mean, he had seven catches, right? But one, of the first big one was a third down conversion where he gets a crossing route and he gets around the edge and he dives. It was a great play, right? Good job. Hero Beebe. And then he gets the full start falling for his own team's hard count. You cannot do that. Bad Beebe. Uh, he muffs the punt, right? Horrible BB, but then he gets the final touchdown on a pretty good route, good catch, comes down with it, easy, not ambiguous at all. Uh, that what a what a game that Chad BB had. I don't. There's not much to really analyze about it other than just the ups and downs and the resilience you have to show. And you know the team's got a lot of fight in them. They're clawing right now. They're scraping. And, and, you know, you at least want to see that in like their personality. I also want to talk about the fumbles because I think we have to, right? So this is the third quarter meltdown, two fumble rooskies in a row for, for touchdowns. Um, the, f and, and, and I think both of them were kind of Brett Jones's fault, uh, which is again, 
really unfortunate. So the first one, they, they do a twist, right? And Jones is too slow to pick it up, so a guy gets totally free up the line of scrimmage. But I also need to blame Kirk Cousins. As good of a game as he had, this was a bad play. You know, people take that kind of contact all the time without giving up a fumble that goes for a touchdown. And the reason that it happened, it looked to me at least, and the broadcast kind of posited this as well, was that uh, Cousins was looking at a pass. I think it was to Justin Jefferson. He was trying to unload it, and he didn't see the pressure, right? But the pressure was coming right at him directly. It's one thing when it's like blindside, and I still think that we can expect quarterbacks to kind of have that internal clock to know what's going on around them. You know, people don't run silently, and I think you could have that spatial awareness that some guys have and some guys don't. Um, And when you don't, you're at a disadvantage versus quarterbacks that do. I think that's a totally fair thing to expect of NFL quarterbacks because they're in the NFL. Uh, But this one, he's coming right at you, dude. Like, you've got to see that, at least with your peripheral vision. That's tunnel vision. That's not seeing everything that's going on on the field. And and that, as a quarterback, you can't be doing that. Now, he played more than well enough to make up for it, but that was definitely a bad play. Jeremy Chin uh, gets ends up picking up, recovering it, and returning it for a touchdown, right? They come out for the next drive, and then there is a run play. Uh, Brett Jones and Garrett Bradbury don't get a lot of space, so they're trying to do a combo block. I think it was Brett Jones was trying to climb to the second level, as that has been a huge problem for him. He's very, very slow to do it. And so the linebacker gets up into the gap that he was supposed to defend, and it doesn't end up creating nearly enough space for Dalvin Cook. He ends up running into the wall, and then he gets stripped. And and, and again, people kind of got on me about that one because he was hurt after that. And he was like, well, you know, he got hurt. Of course he dropped it. But he got the ball stripped, and his ankle got hurt. Like, those were definitely separate things. He also came back. So his ankle ended up fine, thank goodness. Um, But yeah, he he got stripped. And there's this huge ball security issue. We kind of have to talk about a Cook fumble issue. And we definitely have to talk about a Kirk Cousins fumble issue, which has been a thing for his whole career. So ball security, y'all like this should be easy stuff. Get to the line, get the snap off and don't fumble. And then we can talk about whether or not they should be running on second and 10 and stuff. But come on, get to the line and don't fumble. So tomorrow we have Twitter Tuesday, of course, so make sure you're on the lookout for that. We have uh, Wednesday is going to be the rewatch thing. We're going to talk about the tape, talk about the run game, talk about some of the nitty gritty stuff and, and really get into the tape and the, the, the real crux of why things happened. Um, and then, of course, Thursday and Friday, we move on to Jacksonville Jaguars mode. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at NFL. The show is on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.